We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's dive into the the mailbag, Ryan, because we had some things to discuss in the the uh, <clears throat> the mailbag today. We had some questions. JP Buellsfeld says, when a commit receives a one million dollar NIL deal, does he receive one million every year of his career, or one million total over his career? For the most part, Ryan, those are deals over a period of time. But it's not right. true of every kid. There may be some kids like, look, you want me to come there? Yeah, Alabama's offered me a million over four years. You're offering me a million, but if I'm getting the same offer from you that I'm getting there, I want a million up front, you know? And um, if you're, if you're smart, you wouldn't do that because then the kid takes your million plays for a year, jumps in the portal and, and he's back on, you know, getting the, the NIL offers a year from now. Uh, but most of those, like, I think somebody had said like Nico was getting like a $4 million deal or $8 million deal, but that's spread out over years. years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So most of those deals are spread out over time. They are. Uh, so they are. yes. And, yeah. And, and JP, I would say, just think of this like free agency. I mean, these agents that are working now with these players, the NIL agents, like they are trying to find the best deal that, you know, comes back to, I mean, cause obviously they're profiting off of the money as well. Right. So, I mean, to Brian's points, players are going to sign different types of NIL deals, right? Like there will be different structures for every player and, it's wild, man. It's wild. I mean, you know, I know a lot of players just want that quick, you know, give me that one, one stop payments. Cause to Brian's point, I mean, you think of like the Quinn Ewers situation, right? He goes to Ohio state, gets the deal and he goes down to Texas. And I'm Although sure he, he didn't get that from Ohio. State. That's the one difference is he didn't get that deal from Ohio state. Mm-hmm. That was some company wanted to pay him. And he just, Ohio state was the team that was willing to, that was willing to let him get into, you know, as a, as a oh, is that reclassification what thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't a deal through Ohio State. I'm pretty sure it was not. Sure. It was not. Well, yeah, because at that point, they hadn't passed the NIL stuff in Texas, right? So he had to go to a different state and then do all that type of stuff. Right? Yep. Right. Yep. But to your to your point, Ryan, uh, it is it is spread out. Uh, and look what happened, like you said. But let's say it was from Ohio State. Or let's say it was a, a, a business that was related to Ohio State. Well, you gave him that money up front, and then a year later, he's starting quarterback in Texas. You know, and that's just kind of how the process is going to go. This world is getting wild, man. I'm telling you guys, like I, I, 
I work with agents on the NFL draft side of stuff, right? And I mean, I love the people that I work with, but it's like yeah. some uh, shady people behind those seeds, you know? So it's, uh, it's the Wild West continues. Wild West continues. Yep. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We had a quick question here from Savage Science Fitness about the built bars. He says, Brian, how much sugar are in those built bars? Just curious. So built bars are protein bars. So they're not candy bars, they're protein bars. They just taste like candy bars. But uh if you look That's at so I, I've got a box here over over beside me that I just grabbed real quick, and I have the caramel brownie. I wanted to grab one that's like, you know, you'd think would be higher in sugar. And each bar is four grams of sugar, which is not a small amount, but it's not crazy by any stretch of the imagination when you consider like compared to other things. So uh, and it's like, they are, uh, yeah. If I remember correctly, built bars are what, like 13 grams of protein as well? Yes. To that four grams this of one, it depends. Like this one, yeah. for example, the caramel brownie one is 17 grams of uh, protein that's- and four grams of net carbs. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, and not, to, not, not to try to sell it too much, guys, but like I used to eat the peanut butter brownies all the time. I haven't had one in probably a couple months, but they are really good. Man. Yeah. Like it really does taste like a candy. They bar. taste like yes, they, they really do. They really yeah. do. Somebody else asked us real quick, and we'll move on from the from the built bar stuff. But yep. uh, somebody, uh, Karen likes the built bars. She's definitely ordered them before. They're very very good. Detroit Hunter says, Brian, how many flavors do they have? It depends. I mean, they, they, they don't have all the flavors available all the time. Uh, the brownie, and this is why I just told people that the brownie ones they have now, the reason I ordered them immediately is because, or the cookie dough ones that they have now, I didn't, I mean, they go quick. And then they, it's kind of like a while supplies lasting. So like when I was on there a week ago, they didn't have the cookie dough on there. Uh, one of the regulars I get is cherry barcia and cookie co- coconut almond. Those are normally always available. The peanut butter brownies there, that's normally available. But the new the new ones that are out right now, Ryan, is they have coconut brownie is a new one that's out right now. Co- cookie dough and then candy cane brownie, which is not really my cup of tea because I'm not a really big candy cane guy. I, I could do but, that. But uh, yeah, but some people really are. And the, the they also have candy cane brownie puff. They have brownie batter, uh, which I love the brownie batter. Uh, coconut marshmallow and the churro are the puffs that they have available. The, uh, there's another one. I think banana pudding is one that I really like. That's a good puff. Very much so. So I, I'm, I'm, a big, um, I'm a, I'm a Bilt, big fan. Built Bar are very smart marketers, man, because they make a lot of those yeah. bars that are only limited time available. Right. So like they to... do like this pumpkin one that's only yeah. available like around, you know, the, the fall. 
And then they're, and then, but then people like me see, oh, cookie dough is available. Let me buy four boxes. So that Press way I have my man. stash for the next several months. Exactly. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's smart, but they're very good. I, and, and as we've told you, like, I mean, there's advertisements on our podcast that, you know, that's just who Blue Wire puts on there. We don't really have a partnership with them, but we always try when we do partnerships ourselves with companies, it's companies we actually like their product and have tried their product. And uh, we go from there. So like I've turned down offers from like Manscaped and some other places because I don't particularly care much for Manscaped, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we'll always try to be straight with you. So when we tell you we like, brown, uh, you know, built bars, we're, we're being straight with you. They're they're very, very good, which is why we we partner with them. And and uh, yeah, they, it's, it's good stuff. So I, I would love to hear you do a uh, do a Manscaped ad, though. That'd be pretty funny. Why that? Yeah. Long? I did once. I did one. So it was, but it was not for like, it wasn't like Manscaped has reached out to us directly about doing stuff with them. And I said, no, they did Mm -hmm. a thing where we had to do an ad read for blue wire. Mm -hmm. And they sent me the ad. He's like, I'm not reading this. Like, there's no way in heck I'm reading this. This is absurd. Uh, You know? And I was like, you, this is a pornographic ad read. I'm talking about my private, like, this is stupid. So I let them know I'm not reading this. And if you want me to read it, you need to let me change it. And so they let me change it. And there was still some stuff in there. I didn't feel comfortable with when I did the ad read. And after I did, I was like, I'm not doing manscaped again. Like, like, and that's the thing I like about blue wires. They're like, Hey, look, there's plenty of other people out there. Like we're not going to, or if I, if you want to do manscaped, then you guys do the ad read. I'm not doing it because I don't really right. want it on my show. So they, they work with us on that. But yeah, that was a very uncomfortable ad read, Ryan. I'm not gonna lie to you. It was a very uncomfortable we, ad read. We, I remember I had to do one of those in the past and I was just like, I feel dirty after reading this. Yes. I don't like it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Anyway. All right. Let's get, uh, let's get back to some more football questions here. As much as I love talking about built bars, we haven't done that in a while. So let's get, let's get back to that. Here's a question from the history expert. I love that name, by the way. I got a picture of one of a uh, crusader on his, on his avatar. So I'm digging that off topic, but I'm excited about Minchie was never sold on Novasad. Minchie was always the one I wanted after Dante left. Ryan, you were in the same boat. We both yes. were, but even more so like I saw the potential of Novasad. I didn't necessarily, I mean, I pref- we both preferred Minchie, but you really liked Minchie over Novasad when we first started talking about those two guys as well. I would say this too, Brian, like comparing the junior film of Novasad and Minchie, I preferred Minchie because I just, he's more my style. And I'll be very honest about that, right? Like Novasad's a nice, like think of Jared Goff stylistically, right? Like he's a good pocket passer. He's got a pretty quick release for as tall as he is. He's accurate. He's on time. Like it's all good stuff, man. Like there's nothing against Austin Novasad. He's a talented kid, but Kenny Minchie's more of that. RPO playmaker, you know, quick release. Like there's a lot of great stuff in the junior film. I'll say this folks. I know that Minchie didn't play a ton this season because of an injury, but when he played, I mean, Brian, we were talking about this morning, man, his senior (laughs) film is bananas folks. Like I'll say this junior film. I liked him senior film. I love him. He's very good. And the really cool thing too, to this point, Brian, is that I think stylistically, he plays a lot like Dante Moore, you know, like I think there's a comparison there. Dante's still a little bit of a higher caliber player, in my opinion, but Minchie plays similarly to how Dante plays, in my opinion, which is interesting. I really like how it ended up here with with how bleak it looks from quarterback recruiting perspective. I think getting Kenny like, Minchie is a massive ago, deal. If they're yes. able to get him right, like two weeks ago, we're like you and I are talking like, dude, I don't think they're going to get a quarterback. And if they yep. do, it's going to be some kid that just is like he's just a body just occupying a space. 
it was uh yeah it was not good it was not good here's the thing it, when you were texting me today about Minchie, it was almost like you were texting me in a similar with a similar tone to how you do when you first watch a kid that you've never seen before it's like ryan will watch film of a kid and he'll start texting me his thoughts and 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 different aspects of it and then he's talking to me about this kid and i'm like I'm like you've seen him before, right? But that's what that's, that's how the senior room. film was, right? Like we did a show yeah. on this, right? But like that, my point is that's how excited Ryan was about seeing the jump. It was almost like seeing a different guy. Uh, I yes. kind of, I kind of, I mean, for me, the difference from junior film to senior film was his arm just got a tad stronger uh, yes. and he's a little sturdier. I, I, I thought, I mean, I loved his junior film. I, I really loved mm-hmm. his junior film because like the, the thing I like about him, his anticipation is excellent. Yes. And you can just, he's got a great mental feel for the game. I and mean, his arm is good. I love he can yeah. throw from all types of angles. He can play off platform. But you see a level of anticipation with this kid that you just don't often see from younger quarterbacks. And that's the thing that, I mean, you want to talk about what Nurim's missing. Yeah, they're missing a guy that can throw off platform. And I mean, Tyler Buckner can do that, right? I mean, we've seen Tyler Buckner throw off platform. The thing that I love about this kid, Kenny Minchie, is he is a much more, his level of, of just, okay, see it before it happens is really off the charts for such a young kid. And I know that's a hyperbolic statement, and it is a bit hyperbolic when you say something like off the charts. But, I mean, we even saw it as a junior. I've talked about throws where he's, like, throwing it. I'm like, where's that ball going? Tyler Buckner has a little bit of that to him. But what Kenny Minchie has is Kenny Minchie's a more consistent thrower. You know, Tyler Buckner, when he's on, is pretty good. But let's be real. Tyler Buckner has never been quite the same passer since he changed his throwing motion. Just hasn't. And the thing about Kenny Minchie that you saw from junior or senior year was consistency as a player. My hope is that he doesn't do go the Tyler Buckner, Phil Dracovic route and change his throwing motion from what was really effective in high school to something else. I'll never understand that. But, you know, I mean, Tyler Buckner's always kind of struggled to get back that release point that allowed him to be what I felt was a pretty accurate passer in high school and a guy that could throw the ball downfield. Minchie has that. Uh, real clean release he's a very it's a it's a it's a relatively compact release and the thing is his his release point is so consistent whether he's throwing with zip whether he's throwing with power whether he's throwing with touch whether he's throwing off uh you know changing the arm angle it you rarely see kids that that young that do all types of those different types of throws have that kind of understanding on what kind of speed does this throw need but yet maintain right. a really consistent release point it yeah it it's rare, and he he does that at a very high level. That, that's what I call an evaluation, Brian. I call that changing arm speeds, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the, it's like it's like in baseball when you're a pitcher, right? Like you want it all to look the same. It's just that release is going to be either a little bit slowed down or it's going to be a little bit sped up, but it always should look the same. Whether you're throwing the fastball, whether you're throwing the changeup, whether you're throwing with touch, and that's what I love about Kenny, man, is that Kenny. Like it's teach tape from a release perspective, Brian. Like I would tell a young quarterback, you see how everything's consistent. The platform is good. He's got a little bend in, bend in his in his knees, and he's always in a proper position to throw the football. Kenny Minchie is a really nice, advanced mechanical thrower on top of just being naturally more talented. Like because, I mean, last year, Brian again, junior film, I liked it. I was like, nice, man. Like, he's got a lot of arm talent, right? Like, he can throw from different platforms. He can throw from different arm angles. He can change arm speed. But the biggest difference of the jump is that I think base-wise and just physically, he got a lot stronger in the offseason. And you saw it. I mean, there was just a lot more pace on his football 
ball snapped off his hand a little bit faster, a little bit harder. So now you're coupling the natural things he does as a thrower, the anticipation with the accuracy and the release points with the fact that his arm is also stronger than it was last year. That's a game changer in my opinion. Cause now I'm looking at that kid. I'm like, that isn't just a, cause we, 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 we pigeonhole kids sometimes, right? Like that's a West coast quarterback. That's a vertically oriented quarterback. I think Kenny Mitchell could play in any offense. Is there one that may feature him better? Sure. I think he's a great passing offense. offense. Yeah. Yes. I think yeah. a, he's a great fit in what Tommy Reese wants to do offensively, but he is a, he is developed into a passer this year, although in a smaller sample size, where I look at him and say, no matter what system he goes to, no matter who the OC is, no matter who mm-hmm. the head coach is, no matter what the philosophy is, he can do it. So that's yeah. why I'm excited about Minchie. Well, and if they land him too, I kind of feel the same way about CJ Carr. Like I feel CJ Carr fits really well with what Tom Reese likes to do, but CJ Carr and Kenny Minchie are also kids who could thrive in the Clemson offense, running RPOs and quick throws and using their legs to make plays and things like that. Those are two pretty different offenses. And like we've talked about with DJ, I don't think DJ fits that offense at all. He has got to fit into a specific type of offense. And to your point, I think Kenny, I mean, the only kind of offense I wouldn't put him in, is the one where it's like pure runner. Like, I just, that's not, you know, like I wouldn't run a Gus Malzahn's Auburn offense back in the day. Like, I he can run, but he's more of a runner as a passer. He's more, if you, you know, if you want to use an NFL example, he's more Pat Mahomes than Josh Allen. Yes. Athletically, in that he's okay. going to use his athleticism to move around and buy time in the pocket. And if you see room, he'll take off and hurt you with his legs, but it's just not what he's going to do all the time. Where Josh Allen, for times, is like the leading rusher for Buffalo. Yes, you know, and and so it's just a again. He's not in the same category as those guys. I'm not saying he's a future top ten pick. I'm just making a point, you know, of comparing two well known players and and how he fits. His his athleticism is best featured as an extender as a pass. Right, and that, that's the other right. thing too, Brian. Is I felt like on senior film more than junior film, I saw more instances of him throwing on the run and throw yep. and he was throwing some dimes on the run as a senior in only four games. Man, like there's. There's a lot to be excited about with yeah. Kenny Minchie, man. There is. It really is. It really is. Well, you know, one of the questions we got too, Ryan, was we got a question down here. I want to pull it up from uh, from down here from a seek and uh, seek and destroy. Oh, that's really interesting. Seek and destroy. Uh, that's uh, really really well done there. It says with Minchie and Carr committed, do you feel confident about the future QB room? So real quick, Kenny Minchie is not committed to Notre Dame. Right. He's going to visit this weekend. We like where Notre Dame stands coming into that visit. We think they could seal the deal, but he is not committed to Notre Dame. I want to make sure that we're clear about that. Yes. There's still a little bit of work to be done. Having said that, Ryan, I want to speak to the question this way. If Notre Dame gets CJ Carr and Kenny Minchie, so let's just work with that assumption so that we can give respect to the question. How do you feel about the future of the quarterback room? I'm going to tell you it's as it's as conf, it's as confident as I've been in it since 2015 when they had Malik Zaire, Deshaun Kaiser, Brandon Wimbush in that room. I mean, honestly, that's how I feel. And, and, you know, like, for example, like when Phil Dracovic was here, I was never quite as comfortable with it because I didn't feel like Chip Long and Tommy Reese really liked Phil as a player as much because he didn't fit really what they were looking for. You know, Phil's a street yard, street ball, street, you know, he's a street ball guy, right? Ryan, he's like, you got to have – you got to give some freedom over to him to just kind of go play street ball. Okay. And that's not really what the Notre Dame coaches want to do. They want to have control and it be structured. And then, you know, your, your, 
street ball aspects are fine if they come within the structure of what we're what we're trying to do overall. And Kenny Minchie is more that than he is what Phil was. And so mm-hmm. you just were never confident. Like I've said this before, people said if Phil Jacobic would have stayed, would Notre Dame have been better? I'm saying, I don't know because I don't think Notre Dame would have known how to use Phil the same way. Right. You know, Tommy Reese showed last year with, with Jack Cohn, he wants a guy that can sit in the pocket and go through the reads and get the ball where he needs to get to. Kenny Minchie and C.J. Carr can both do that at a high level. They can both sit in the pocket and rip you apart. What makes them really good players and what makes C.J. Carr a borderline five-star recruit is, and what makes Kenny Minchie, in my view, a top 100 player, which Ryan now agrees with me on, is he's a top 100 yes. player. That's why we have him ranked 80th overall in the country in the SI 99 rankings, is that he's so much more now, he's so much more impactful out of the pocket. Where CJ was always that way. I mean, even sophomore film, CJ Carr out of the pocket is dangerous. CJ got even better in that regard this year, but he enhanced what he already was. Kenny yeah. showed another level to that. And I think that's something that helped him kind of take his game to another level this year as well. Cause he was always really dynamic from the pocket. Now he showed pl- more of a, he's more of a playmaker off junior film than he was necessarily as a sophomore. And that's yes. what gets you fired up. So the thing is, Ryan, you can just, if, if those are your two quarterbacks in the future, doesn't matter who's in the game. You're running the same yeah. flipping offense. Yeah. And that's a, a nice place to be. It really is a nice place to be. I mean, because if we just take both players, I want people to really understand this because I've seen this already out there. Somebody literally said this on Twitter to me, Brian, after, you know, we posted, you know, that, you know, he's visiting, that Minchie's visiting Notre Dame and decommitting all that type of stuff. And someone said, uh, is this like a throw in? Like, is this kid actually any good? And I'm like, yeah, he, he's good, man. Like he's a very talented kid. Like I, Kenny Minchie has all the talent in the world to being the starting quarterback at Notre Dame at some point in his career. He does. And then you just mentioned it. You want to talk about a jump that Minchie made from junior year to senior year? CJ Carr just had a huge jump from sophomore to junior. Mm-hmm. Another kid that I really liked his sophomore film. I did. You know that. But his junior film, I I now see why people are talking about him as a five star potential top twenty player in this class. Yeah. Like he looked like <laughs> that dude on junior film, man. He really. And then because then Brian, my mind's going. Okay, if that's what I'm getting with CJ Carr. I am really excited about the future. But then the other thing that we need to consider is what if he takes another jump as a senior, another massive right. jump, like, man, he's got potential to be very right. good. So yes, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in the future of quarterback play at Notre Dame. As long as it's developed yeah. properly, as long as it's used properly, the talent will not be an issue. And it fits what right now the offense wants to be under Tommy Reese, which yeah. is also a big bonus. Well, it, it's funny as I, I have found out, and I, I didn't know this until people were were telling me this the other day. But apparently, there's some analysts that are down on CJ Carr's junior film, and I'm like, I, I, yeah, because he had a couple well, bad games, and he did. Sure, sure. But it's like, yeah, you're probably overthinking this a little bit, right? I mean, Ball I don't really popping care. Popping out of his hand, right? Popping out of his right. Hand. So yeah, he, you're, you're correct. He, uh, my my view of him got even better than it was before. Yes. Uh, there's no yeah. doubt about it. And, and same with Kenny Minchie, and, and it was already very high on both players. So that uh, you, you get you get you fired up. Here's, here's a comment question from Jason, or comment more from Jason Rosen, and then, uh, and then asking our opinion on it. Speaking of quarterbacks, like, hey, I've got, hey, guys, I'm not sure Buckner fits Reese's system. To me, Buckner needs a system that utilizes the zone read and spread out, st- street st- ball style thoughts. I think Buckner can be a dropback quarterback. I just mm-hmm. feel like he needed time to get there. 
Jason, yeah. based on where Buckner is now, you are correct. My only thing is I think Buckner can become a guy that fits Reese's system. What I felt Coach Reese mm-hmm. didn't do a great job of is a is is building to him to that progressively over time. I felt like he was trying to run this advanced pro style offense and then fitting zone read into it. And I just don't think Tyler was comfortable mentally at that point in time to be able to do that at a high level, in my view. But I think eventually he could. I do. I'm not, I'm not I haven't given up on Tyler Buckner. I haven't. No. The only reason that I feel that I'm pushing for a, a, a transfer quarterback for next year is because Tyler's lost way too much development time and the injuries. Uh, yep. But I'm giving him – I don't care who you get in the transfer portal. Tyler Buckner should and will be given a chance to beat that person out. And it would not shock me if he does if he can make the mental and technical jumps that he's capable of. He may not because of the, the misdevelopment time, and that's the risk of just going with him and assuming he's going to make it. You can't take that risk. You can't. But I'm not writing him off just yet, Ryan. In my view, thoughts on Joe's on Joe's question? I, I think from a passing perspective, Tyler has all the makeup to be a fit into what Tommy Reese wants to do. I think to your point, though, and I agree a million percent on, is I think that the run aspects of the offense and the passing offense that they want to be, I think that it's two different, right? Like they don't work off of each other when Tyler Buckner was in there, it did feel like zone read aspects and those types of things were just kind of thrown in there because you have that quarterback, but it didn't really work together incredibly well. Like that's why it was a little disjoint. Like, I mean, we were, we've been begging for it all year, right? Like what, especially with Tyler Buckner, like we're running the read game off the zone game. And then here comes the RPO action off of it. Here comes the play action. Mm -hmm. Here comes movement of the pocket. Like, there was different aspects. I think that coach Reese hundred percent could have done better to accentuate Tyler Buckner's strength. It just felt run game pass game. When he was the quarterback felt very disjointed on top of the offensive line, not playing very well. The first couple of games, it was just lost developments. That's what it is right now. Unfortunately, we'll see how it works out, but it's uh, you know, it's very unfortunate how everything kind of worked out this year with the injury and everything. It is. Got some more questions so far. Really, really good stuff, everybody. Re- really enjoying this. Uh, Tavis McKay, will I be pay attention to all the uh, to at all to the World Cup of Soccer? I know it is basically going on right at the busy season this year. Ryan, your answer. I don't follow soccer. I don't watch soccer. The only time I watch soccer is on the is the Olympics. So and even then, I, it's I it's middle round. I don't watch soccer like really at all. My my brother in law. Who's my well, my sister-in-law's husband. I'm gonna call my brother-in-law for this conversation. He's from Scotland, so they are big, obviously, on soccer. So he's very religious in his watching of soccer. So he Brian, it's actually coming, apparently, most likely to Philadelphia is gonna be part of the World Cup in 2026, I believe it is. So my brother-in-law is already talking about like, hey, man, we got to get tickets. I need to go there. Like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Like, how often do you get a chance to go to a World Cup game? And I'm like, all right, I guess. But to Tavis's question, unless my brother-in-law invites me over, you know, to to hang out and to watch a couple of the games coming up, I won't watch it just off of my own accord. I will say this, and I'm and I'm going to make some people mad again. I, I had a guy joking that I, I almost lost his membership or his uh, subscription because I said I don't like heavy metal. But it's the example I used last week. Soccer is the same way. I personally can't listen to heavy metal. But I can also appreciate the talent of, like I said at the time, a Metallica. I can, I can listen to that and say, boy, those guys are really gifted musicians. I just don't like the type of music that they are playing. 
that's how I feel about soccer. I I can appreciate why people like soccer. I played soccer when I was a kid for two years because I wasn't allowed to play football until junior high school. And so I can appreciate the sport. I just don't enjoy to watch it. Like hockey. I can greatly appreciate the skill that it takes to do. I tried playing roller hockey once in the street. And after about two minutes, I took my – and I just spent played the rest of the game in tennis shoes. because like, I can't do this. I mean, so you're doing it on skates. That takes incredible skill. I just don't enjoy to watch it. So I can appreciate yep. soccer. I just don't enjoy it. So if I was somewhere and somebody was watching soccer, I'd be like, oh, come leaving. I just wouldn't watch it. I would find something to talk about else to talk about. So I want to get to a couple questions here, Ryan, from, from earlier that we need to address here. Uh, uh, Jonathan Gabrick said, did y'all have frosted tips also? Uh, no, I never did the did frosted not. tips. I've shared the story about the one time I dyed my hair. It was for a senior trip, and yes. it did not go well. So the only other time I've done it, I've never done – I was never that. And then somebody said, Mike Sullivan said, I can see Brian with a perm. I'm not that old where perms were a thing when I had hair. But honestly, I've had – I've had. Uh, and then Sean Paulus actually kind of got it right. Paul said Brian had the big Jordan-sized diamond earrings. Well, they weren't diamonds, you know what I'm saying, because I was a freshman in college, and we didn't roll like that <laughs> as a family. But uh, I had diamond earrings. I didn't do the – I wore hoops like once. I was like, this is retarded. I can't, this is ridiculous. Excuse me. I, I said, so I'm not doing this. This is absurd. And so I just stuck with the diamonds. And even then it lasted like two semesters of my freshman year. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. And uh, yeah, wasn't doing it. So, and then uh, salty asked it. Uh, just, we'll go ahead, Ryan. Oh, no, I was just going to say my, my only embarrassing thing, I guess, is, I mean, I had the earrings with like the little diamonds, right? But mm-hmm. I had a, uh, I did have a chin strap at one point, which was pretty embarrassing. Oh, but, wow. Yeah, we don't relive That's... that. We don't relive that. <laughs> you're, you're trying to go with the John B thing, huh? Trying to be like a little, little John B action. That was uh, a okay. 19-year-old dumb decision. So okay. I'll leave it there. <laughs> Salty Virginia Peanut said, Brian, did, uh, did Brian have the big hair, hairband hair? How old do you think I am, dude? Like... <laughs> Hairbands were not a thing when I was old enough to possibly have a hairband uh, hairdo. Uh, no, I have honestly had basically the same hairstyle since I was about 15 years old. I either shave it or I comb it over when it gets too long. But normally I just let it kind of lay down. I've literally not done anything different with my hair since I was about 15 years old. I just and and the reason I chose the style I looked is because I want a hairstyle that takes me about 30 seconds to do something with at the most. Preferably, it takes zero seconds to do something with, which is why I shave my head. Uh, not shave my head, but buzz buzz my my head. So uh, that's enough of the fashion talk, but I wanted to make sure people understood. I did not rock uh, frosted tips, was not doing none of that stuff. That was way too much freaking work. And also, it just made would have made me feel soft, to be completely honest with you. Uh, uh, you Siggy13 said ass, chin strap. Acid. Oh, yes. Yeah, I had a chin strap. Now, I was going to say, Brian, second. yeah. Also, I need to this, need to speak to this. Siggy thirteen said chin strap. Same here, Brian. Don't say hey, same here, Brian. I never had a the only chin strap I've ever had was on a football helmet. Okay, so that guy over there, Ryan, had the he was the cheese ball that had the chin strap, not me. So I just yeah. make sure that we're clear on who had the chin strap. And they had blonde, was yeah, but Brian guy. Brian had blonde hair and hoops though. So <laughs> it was never hoops. It was those two things never. So first of all. My hair ended up not turning out blonde. Remember the story? It turned out oh, yeah. orange. Yes. Uh, but uh, so you were I didn't, so you were ginger yeah. with, ho- with your hoops. Got it. Yes, <laughs> I didn't have hoops, and I didn't get my hair cut till I went to college. And by that point in time, my hair had grown out enough where I could buzz it, and it was back to being brown. 
So yeah, uh, somebody just said Brian was definitely a lip piercing guy. Now y'all getting a little out of hand. Like that's a bannable comment right there. I've never pierced anything by my ears, and even that was a dumb decision. And it was like one, one on each side. It was lame, totally lame. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely not that. I'd have to punch myself in the face. So <laughs> it's like that scene from uh, uh, what's the Happy Gilmore? If I caught myself in those shirts, I have to kick my own. You know what? So yes. that would have definitely, yes. definitely been me. We had to have a super chat from Joe Papiti. Joe says, I think this team doesn't just look at the opposition as faceless, nameless people who they just need to dominate. They get up for the big games, but don't for the other games. Joe, I think there's a lot to that, Ryan. And, and I'll be honest mm-hmm. with you. I hated, I hated Brian Kelly's nameless, faceless opponent thing. Mm-hmm. I would rather a team get up for the big games and have, and you have to really kick them in the pants to get them up for the lower games. I would much rather see that. Because eventually your teams get to get to the point where you don't have the Marshalls and the Boston Colleges. I mean, not the Boston Colleges, but the Stanfords and games like that. It'll be more like the Navies, which, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're flipping out of the Navy game. But Notre Dame was in more control over Navy than Georgia was over Missouri, for example. Right. Yeah. So everybody has that except Michigan. And somebody was making I was arguing with somebody today. If Michigan loses to Ohio State, they have zero business being in the playoff. They haven't beat anybody. Oh, Penn State's going to be a great win. Well, Penn State's not a great win, first of all, but that's their only one. Well, they've never trailed in the fourth quarter because they haven't played anybody. You know, like, it just, yeah. Other than teams that just play, like, really soft schedule, like really soft schedules, everybody's going to have games like that. Uh, It's just, for me, I want to see the team that is emotionally ready for the big games. I'd much rather see that. And then you figure out what you got to do to get them ready enough in those other games to come out and continue progressing forward as a football team. Absolutely. Like if you look at the way Alabama played against Auburn last year, it was a joke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then you watch, look what they did a, a week later, a week after that game, they went out and curb stomped Georgia. Yeah. You know, give me that over the team like that Notre Dame, what Notre Dame wasn't a Brian Kelly's, they had to beat Auburn by 17. And then got curb stomped in the SEC title game by Georgia. That's mm-hmm. how that's how Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame. And Jonathan Gabbard asked a similar question: How do you make sure your team is locked in as a coach? What do you have to do to hype them up for a team who isn't your level? I don't think it's about hyping a team up, Ryan. I think it's about yeah. figuring out a way to keep them keep the pedal to the metal. And this is where Lou Holtz was a master, and he would said it. I, I never needed to hype my team up for Miami or Florida State or Michigan. He said, mm-hmm. but, and players will say this, but, you know, you go out there in a week of practice before the Navy game or the Rice game, it was miserable because the coach is just on you. That's a lesson I learned as a coach is you did not want to be coached by me the week we were playing some team that stunk because I, nothing you did was going to be good enough because I was going to make sure you were locked into having whatever you have to do to get me to not yell at you for the little things. That's how you get guys locked in. So they got to figure something out to do that, but um, – it's not about getting them hyped up. It's about getting them locked in on the on the task at hand. And that's that's going to be the key, Brian, for me. I, I think you also have to highlight a lot of what makes the team a, a formidable opponent, right? It's like if I was watching film against BC, I wouldn't just show the offensive line atrociousness, right? Like I would show that, hey, guys, that's Zay Flowers kid. That's a potential high NFL yeah. draft pick, right? Like Ben, Benjamin Morrison, Cam Hart, like you guys need to come to play, man, because that guy can embarrass you if you're not playing your game. He can. Cam mm-hmm. Arnold, if you are knocking up to the second level, he can give you some problems. Josh DeBerry, if we're not running crisp routes in the slot, this kid can give us some issues. Like there are players on this team that can hurt us. That's why I also don't like the name 
nameless, faceless thing, right? Like, I want everyone to know that that Zay Flowers kid, number four, good football player, man. Like, that kid could kick her. Ryan, do you think that Harry Heastan went about that Clemson game or maybe Tommy Reese saying, hey, it's just nameless, faceless defense? No, or was it, y'all better be ready. This Miles Murphy cat's going to bring it. Y'all better be ready or Brian Brissy's going to bring it. Because those kids were so ready for that matchup. They took it as like a challenge. Like, oh, yeah, you want to talk about how good that defensive line is? Cool. Look at what we have to offer. And I think that's a big part of of really kind of what allowed them to thrive was let them know what's in front of them. You know, let them know the opportunities in front of them. And don't be afraid to say that. Don't try to tamp down their energy over a game like that. Use it to your advantage. And I and I and I do think that they've done a good job with that. The next step is just going to be trying to find ways to make sure you keep them locked in enough on the task in hand against the bad teams to go out there and handle their business. That's going to be the key. Yeah, it's 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 like challenging, right? Like you challenge a team. Like again, this guy is a good football <coughs> player, man. He can embarrass you, right? Like, are you up for the challenge? Or are you not up for the challenge? Take that challenge, Joe Walt, Blake Fisher. Hey, that Miles Murphy kid's going top ten. You want to prove how good you guys are? Go. Cool kick his butt man like that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing zay flowers is probably a potential top 64 overall draft pick in april he's got a thousand yards this year he's a good football player cam you haven't had the best year and be honest with him like cam you haven't had a great year do you want to go lock that kid down do you want to start yeah. to get your draft buzz back do you want to start to yeah. show people who you are that's the opportunity that you have in front of you that's the opportunity yep absolutely yep there we go Ryan, got a question here from Brian Hockney. It says, how many of the 2023 recruits will be early enrollees? So you want to go kind of position by position, the guys that we yeah. know for a fact are going to be early enrollees. If they get for Kenny sure. Minchie, he's one. But let's go yes. through – let's go running back, Ryan. Yep. So Jeremiah Love is planning on enrolling early for sure. Jane Lamar is, to my knowledge as well. Wide receiver, Braylon James, yes. Jane Greathouse, Yes. Rico Flores, I believe so. Dylan Edwards, I'm not sure about. I'm not sure about Dylan Edwards. Cooper Flanagan, yes. Offensive line-wise, I'm not sure about Joe Otting, but I know for sure that Sam Pendleton is. I know Sullivan Absher is. Charles Jagasaw, no. Jagasaw is a no. So two of those offensive linemen are. Defensive line-wise, Bubakar is. Devin Houston, I'm not sure about. Brandon Vernon can't because Mentor does not allow them to do so. Armel yeah. Mukum is yeah. not in either. He's right. not in an early enrollee. Linebacker-wise, Drake I don't is. think Woodbury allows early enrollees either, do they? I don't think so. Now, he told me that he's not going to be there in the spring, so he's definitely not. Drake Bowen is. Preston Zinter, I believe, also is. And Jane Osbury, I think, is as well. He, he was tweeting at the visit for Clemson two more months and it's home yes. or something like that. So he'll be an yes. early enrollee as well. Yep. Christian Gray is. Yes, I talked to his mother, so I know that one for sure. Micah Bell, I believe so, but I'm not 100% sure on Micah. Yeah, that one I'm unsure of because of track. Yes, yes. That so would be the only be the only track. concern I'd have there. Yep. So, Yeah. Hey, Peyton Bowen is. Adon Schuler definitely is. He's the first player ever from Irvington that's going to graduate early, so he's 100%. And then Ben Minich is also. So aside from okay. Charles Jackasaw, Brennan Vernon, Armel Mookum, and maybe Micah Bell, that's the only guys right now that are not early enrollees, to my knowledge, of the 23. Okay. All right. Let's go to 
the next question here from Michael Parks. Foskey, he's a comment. Foskey better get two sacks at least. There's a good shot that Isaiah Foskey is going to break the sack record this weekend. I mean, it's goodness cool, gracious. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, that would be not good. Not good. This should be this should be if there's a defensive line coming out party, it should be this week. <laughs> better be. Yeah. I mean, and they've been pretty good. They've been pretty good this they year. Have. I mean, they've been at times very good at times, like, ah, eh, you know, you need to be better. But overall, they've been pretty good. We've had, yeah. We have a lot of questions about this, about Kenny Minchie's arm. He had he had a shoulder injury this year. My understanding is it was not yeah, I think it was not like a major injury. I've mm-hmm. seen people say it was just bruised. I've some I had read one thing that said he had a separated shoulder. He came back to play, and it just the pain in the second playoff game was too great. But he came back after five games off and just looked great in the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, from what I understand, it's not anything structural long term. Yeah. I and I've talked. I haven't talked to anybody about Notre Dame about this, but let me say something. This current staff has been very picky about injuries, just because of some of the things he had got burned in the past. So if if I would imagine they did their homework on that and were comfortable with it and and mm-hmm. and what the injury was and the rehab and all those kind of things. And my understanding is he announced today he's going to be playing in the Army All-American game. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be seven Notre Dame kids at that game, uh, by the way. And we've had some people ask that, Ryan. So let's just quickly give that list of, yeah. of, of kids. So the Army game, it's not the Army game anymore. Sorry, it's the our All-American Bowl, but – it's kind of always army for me. It's going to be Ken, Kenny Minchie if he commits. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be Rico Flores, Charles Jagasaw, Brennan Vernon, Drake Bowen, Adon Schuler, and Micah Bell. At the yeah. Under Armour game, it's going to be Dylan Edwards, Jeremiah Love, Braylon James, Jaden Osbury, and Peyton Bowen. Mm-hmm. And then Cooper Flanagan's playing in the Polynesian Bowl, uh, the one out in uh, Hawaii. Which I was joking with my guy, say sorry, but no one's. I'm not paying for anyone to go cover that one. Sorry, guys. Uh, I, I thought so. Vince was going. No. Yeah, I told him I'll get you a credential, but uh, you got to pay your own way. So uh, (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen. Another recruiting question here for you, Ryan, from Keith Wiegand. Uh, Mailbag, any other offensive linemen in 2023 that Notre Dame is pursuing other than Christopher Tarek, who has committed to Wisconsin? I I don't know if there's any other conversations with any guys behind the scenes, but that's the plan. I haven't heard anything. Yeah, we know that, you know, just kind of, from what we're hearing, that's the guy that Notre Dame wants. That's the fifth offensive lineman in the class, Christopher Tarek, who I think Notre Dame has made a really nice impression with, especially after the visit. You know, it's just one of those things where Tarek needs to evaluate, you know, his – because he is still committed to Wisconsin. So is he still comfortable there? Would he rather, you know, keep looking around? Because we think Notre Dame would be in a very good position if he ultimately does decommit. But that is, to Keith's question, he is the final piece to their offensive line puzzle, they believe. My understanding is they don't they don't think they need a another offensive lineman. Right. It's not a need. It's, it's a want. want is is the key. So, you know, for me they just like Tarek, the fit. He's massive. He's a really big kid. Uh they see him as a really physical kid. He's a he's a lot like Josh Lug was coming out of high school size-wise, but more Josh Lug style of what Josh Lug is now as a player. Uh, Harry Heastan likes those guys. 6'6", 300 plus, physical, you know, short phone booth kind of kid. So they just like them. And also, too, 
they're willing to take a fifth guy this year that that they don't need because next year's offensive line class nationally so far is not very good. And so there's two guys they love in the 24 class. Peter Jones, obviously, who's committed to Notre Dame. They love that kid. And then the other kid they really like, they love a lot in that class is a kid named Gearby Lambert, who's a high school teammate of Bubakar Traore. He's so, very toolsy, man. Lambert yeah. is very toolsy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. So they, they like him a ton. They like him a ton. It's got another question here. So that's a good good question, Keith. Uh, Archer452, resident Ohio State fan. Transfer portal rumors. Lots of big names being floated as potentially portaling. Lots of AM guys, Deshaun McCullough, uh, Luther Burden, et cetera. Who would you like to see Notre Dame go after? So first of all, we're not going to name certain players. We've said this before. We'll we'll address that postseason and we'll address that as guys go in the portal. I just I don't like the notion of discussing a kid who's currently on another team as right. being a transfer unless it's like kind of a specific question. I'm just not super comfortable with that. I don't like that idea. Uh, you know, for me, Ryan, especially like a guy like Luther Burden, that's not happening. He's going to be getting an NIL deal from somebody. Right. But here's what I'll do, Archer. We'll, we'll talk positions that I anticipate seeing Notre Dame definitely looking for portal guys in positions where I could see them if the right guy came open looking looking for a portal guy. So, number one, they're definitely going to look a quarterback from everyone that I've talked to. They're definitely going to be in the market for a portal quarterback. Number two, they're definitely going to be in the portal for a receiver. They're definitely going to be in the portal for an edge rusher. Those are the three areas for sure that I've been told that they're going to be in the, the portal for. I think they would be open to defensive tackle. I think they would be open to a veteran guard who wanted to kind of come in uh, yeah. better than it'd have to be better than Cade, Cade, uh, Kane Madden, obviously. Uh, you know, I think they'd be open to it. It'd have to be the right guy, though, right? I mean, because because they like their their young players there. And I think they'd be open to the right safety if Brandon Joseph leaves. I think if Brandon mm-hmm. Joseph left and the right kind of safety was out there, they'd be open to that as well. But yeah. uh, if, if Brandon Joseph stays, I don't see them necessarily – Again, the other part of it, too, is it's one of those things where you you look at it and say, there's not really a position they're just going to say no to mm-hmm. if the right kid jumps in and wants to be at Notre Dame. Like, they don't have a need at linebacker for a portal kid. But if some stud was like, hey, I want to go to Notre Dame, they're not going to be like, no, sorry. You know, they got to <laughs> figure out a way to make it work numbers-wise, but – I think the only position they'd probably say no to, barring injury or a mass exodus, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So you got me back on that one because I'm always saying what you're thinking in your head, but you nailed it. I mean, that's it. Barring Tyree and Diggs both leaving and Janarian Price not being 100% healthy coming back from the foot injury, even then, you still got Estime, you still got Jabron Payne. You'd still have a 90% Jadarian Price, and you've got Jaden Lamar and Jeremiah Love coming in. You still may not go to the portal for a running back at that point in time. And you could use Dylan Edwards. So, Brian, I'll put it like this. How many teams in the country, and I know there's, a, I know you probably can't actually give me an answer to this, but how many teams in the country is Jeremiah Love getting a significant amount of playing time and touches as a true freshman? And he might not even crack yeah. the three deep for Notre Dame yeah. next year. Like it's possible, which is yeah. wild. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It's <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's oh crazy. my goodness. Yep. 
Yeah. Because how 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 awesome was it to see Jabron Payne finally get some playing time this past game, right? I, like that's awesome mm-hmm. to see. And it's just he is a depth. well built kid. Yes. He is a thick young man. Yes, Yes, he is built like he's built. You look at him like, oh, I bet you that kid plays running back. You know, like you kind of walk down the street like, oh, I bet you that guy plays basketball, right? Like, you know, he's one of those kids. You look, so I bet you that when you see him in shorts, you're like, I bet you that kid plays running back because he's got big calves, big. I mean, he's like he's built really well. Jadarian Price is also that way. He's even thicker in the upper body. They are so loaded at running back. They really are. So quarterback, receiver, edge rusher are the positions I, I anticipate them actively pursuing they'll be open to other positions as well. So, and then part of that's going to be who they lose to the portal as well. Milton fan 15 asks in 15 years, what is the most disappointing decommitment from Notre Dame and why did it stink so bad? Last 10 years. Can you think? Yep. Yep. Mine's easy. I I mean, one for me is Pete Werner. I loved Pete Werner, man. Yeah. I loved Pete Werner. I really did. I liked him a lot. He's one. Paulson Adebo is another that I I really liked Paulson Adebo as well. But I think Werner would be my number one. He was a really good football player and one that I liked a ton. And he ended up being a really good player at Ohio State. Now he's one of the better inside linebackers in the NFL in only his second year. So Pete Werner mm-hmm. would be my pick, I think. Mine happened this summer. It was Keon oh, Kelly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Pete Werner was one too. Cause like, you know, I've watched Pete Werner play in person and I'm like, he, he was like a free safety and he would just kind of just yes. play downhill, man. He was such a good player. And uh, I would have loved seeing him at Notre Dame, but like Notre Dame wasn't exactly hurting at linebacker the years he was there sure. until what would have been his last year, which had been in what 2020. Yeah. Like I would have loved to have seen him in 2020 with Jeremiah Usukoromoa playing instead of Shane Simon, but like 2019, Osmar Bilal was pretty flipping good in 2019. You know, um, Jeremiah Wusukoromo was really good at Rover. The mics were pretty good too. Drew White was really good that year. 2018, they had the best, in, they had one of the five to seven best inside linebacker tandems in college football that year, in my opinion. And they rarely played with their base defense. They played Houston Griffith mostly as a Rover that year and, and Sean Crawford as a Rover that year. They didn't do a whole lot of base defense that year. Uh, and when they did, they, they needed, they put Osmar out there and he was, wasn't very good, but inside back, they were pretty good in 2018. I would not have minded to see a, a red shirt freshman Pete Werner playing Rover on that 2018 defense. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. That'd have been, that'd have been pretty good. But the point is they weren't like hurting bad for linebackers. He would have been their best, but they weren't hurting bad. Keon Keeley is the kind of kid. He's a generational talent. He is a kid that I, I truly believe. And you know, cl- clearly Keon disagrees with me. He doesn't think he's a Notre Dame fit for whatever reason. He thinks he's an Alabama kid, an Ohio State kid. I think he's a Notre Dame kid. I just don't think the people around him have given him the best advice. I know that may piss some people off and that may piss his family off and it may piss him off or whatever. I understand that. I mean, no disrespect. But whoever has convinced him to go grab that bag and go to a place like Bama or Ohio State has given him really bad advice that's more about them than it is about him, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. my it's my honest assessment. Uh, because I think that kid is a great fit at Notre Dame, on and off the field. He would thrive so well at Notre Dame, and he's a phenomenal talent. And let's be real, he's starting day one at Notre Dame. With yeah. all due respect to Josh Burnham and Aiden Gobira and Justin Adamiola or Jordan Patel, all the potential Vipers, Keon Keeley starts at Viper for Notre Dame day one. Mm-hmm. Day one. And, um, you know, and you, and you, so then you project forward 
Like, I don't think Pete Werner moves the needle for Notre Dame as a team the years he was mm-hmm. here. He'd have moved the needle for the defense and the linebacking core, but he doesn't fix the problems that played that plague those teams. He doesn't play quarterback. Whereas I look at Notre Dame the next three years when Keon would be here, and you say, boy, you put that defensive end with the rest of what they're going to have. They're going to have one of the best cornerback rosters in America. And during his three years at Notre Dame, and no, I, I did not say that incorrectly. If Keon's healthy, he's a three-year dude at Notre Dame. And he, mm-hmm. you know, but here's the deal: you'd have arguably one of the best cornerback rooms in America during his tenure. You're gonna what gonna have what I believe is gonna, especially if they can build on it. Twenty four, one of the ten best safety rooms in college football during that tenure. You're gonna have one of the best. You're gonna have the ten best linebacker rooms in college football during that tenure. It, projecting talent. And then the rest of the defensive line is going to be Tyson Ford, Josh Burnham, top 100 players, uh, Aiden Goldbire, top 200 player, Bubakar Traore, top 100 player, Devin Houston, top 150 player, Brennan Vernon, top 100 player, Armel Mookum's a bit of a project, but a really talented project. And then you've already got a top 100 commitment next year from Brandon Davis Swain and a top 250 kid in Owen Wafel. He would be surrounded by every bit as much talent as out at Notre Dame as he will be at Alabama, in my opinion, on defense. And then you'd have the offense, what they're bringing in an offense. He'd be that missing piece to me. Unfortunately, he doesn't see it that way. And so that's the one that hurts because, like, losing Aaron Lynch, kind of got it. Aaron was not necessarily a Notre Dame kind of kid. He was just a great player that was a Notre Dame fan. He wasn't really a Notre Dame kid. Mm -hmm. This kid is a Notre Dame kid through and through. Keon would thrive so much at a place like Notre Dame. Like, he would be one of those kids that loves being in a dorm. He may not think it. They've probably convinced him otherwise, is my guess. No, you want to be in an athlete dorm. He's the kind of kid that would thrive being in, in, in a situation in Notre Dame where he is in a dorm with non-Notre Dame kids, non-football kids. But unfortunately, he doesn't see it that way. And so that one stung. I'm not going to lie to you. That one stung. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Archer452 says, Brian, if you ever are going to watch soccer, it needs to be the World Cup. I just... I, I don't watch soccer, and I only watch it during the Olympics because I used to. I used to watch soccer all you know all the sports during the Olympics. I don't care anymore. I don't watch the Olympics anymore, but I used to. You know, go America that type of thing. But <laughs> yeah, hard pass now. All right, let's see. Get some more questions here. We do have a couple more here. Uh, here's a good one from Keith Wiegand Ryan, and I'll let you address this one. Is Sam Howell a good comp for Kenny Minchie? I don't really see it a ton. I mean, Keith, I'm tr- I'm trying to like, all right. So I think from a release perspective, Sam Howell had a really clean release. It was pretty compact. He had kind of that work off script stuff that he could do, right? He could throw from arm angles. So like, I get it in that sense. I just think completely different body type. I mean, height wise, they're pretty similar, but like body type, they're much different. I think that Minchie's a little smoother than Sam. Sam's a little more powerful in the sense of like, like he can, you know, run the football and break some tackles and he's got a little bit liver of an arm comparative to Kenny. I think, I think honestly a good comp for Kenny Minchie is Dante Moore. I think that those guys, kids play a lot like, like one another. So I, I get where the Sam Howell thing's coming from, but I'm not sure if I love that comp totally. Mm-hmm. What is one that you do like, Ryan? Cause I know I, I don't necessarily love comps, but yeah. um, if you had to do one, who would be a guy that you would say, yeah, yeah it's I'm, similar. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like a modern one for the NFL. I mean, I said Dante Moore, I think is a decent one. Like, I think they play kind of similarly to one another. Um, 
NFL wise, I can't really think of a good one. What about college football wise? Trying to. I would say this: if Kyler Murray, mm-hmm. if you take away the running part, I think Kyler Murray's a very similar comp as a thrower. That's like not a throwing bad motion, throwing style, different yeah. arm talent, like different arm strength, different types of athletes. But he's got a lot of Kyler in him and the ability to change arm angles when Kyler was at Oklahoma. Get the ball mm-hmm. out quickly, those type of things, I think are similar. I, I can get that. I don't, I, was, I don't love the full comp just because the dynamic. I mean, Kyler was a dynamic athlete, and I, Kenny Minchie's not that. They're not the same athlete either, but, I mean, I right. think from a throwing perspective and a just release perspective – Maybe a little Devin Leary in there, right? Like he's got kind of a similar arm angle type of, type of work. I don't know. I'm just trying to think yeah. of like a modern one. For he's him. got a really long release though, Devin Leary though. Devin does? That's, I think so. Yeah. Gotcha. And I'm a big Devin Leary fan, so it's not necessarily a, a, a criticism. He's got a little bit of a long release. Uh, speaking of, Jason Rose says, hey guys, how do you feel about Devin Leary as a potential quarterback transfer? Heard some rumors about him coming back for a sixth year. So uh, – you know, I'll just say this about him since it was asked. If because and we are Notre Dame is looking at it. I love Devin Leary as a talent. Ryan loves Devin Leary as a talent. We had him in the top five of the quarterbacks coming back. He didn't play great this year, but honestly, I think that's a product of a lot of other things, not just him. Here's my big concern, though. He's had two devastating season in the season-ending injuries. This one, I believe, was to his throwing shoulder. Correct. Or his so. pet, his pec, it was his, it was a pec muscle, correct? But I believe it was the pec muscle on his throwing shoulder or throwing side. But he's had he's had a hard time staying healthy, and the whole reason that you're looking for a portal quarterback to begin with is because Tyler Buckner's injury prone, and that's really the only reason why. You, I don't think it's smart to bring in an injury prone quarterback like Devin Leary in this in this instance to be the guy. Well, I say it's not smart. It would make me very nervous. Mm-hmm. If you could tell me that you looked into the future and you could guarantee that wherever Devin Leary goes, he's going to be healthy for every game this year. Good Lord. Yes. I'd take Devin Leary. No question. But cause we're both very high on his talent, Ryan. But for me, I'd have to see who else was out there. You know, like would I take him in the risk of the injury over Cade McNamara, of course, sure. Sure, but if yeah. it's like him and a you know, some other comparable players, you know, I have a, I, I, a clean I, bill of health. Yeah, yeah, right. I'd have a harder time with that just because of the. I need a guy that can that that has the experience, you know, or I mean, I, I like his experience. Like that's my knock on like a Hudson Cards, another name that people have brought up. It's just the lack of experience, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I like, you know, I, I I like his experience. I like Devin Leary's experience. I love his arm talent. It's just the injury thing. That's. And it's not just like he had a injury. He's had yeah. multiple injuries. He just seems like a kid who has a harder time. And I believe he had an injury in high school as well. I believe he missed some time in high school as well with an injury. I could be wrong on that, Ryan. You'd probably know that a little bit more than I do since he's a New Jersey kid. But um, pretty sure he's the um I, I'm not sure about the injury history, but if I remember correctly, I think he's the all-time leading passer in New Jersey yeah. state history. So I, I can't remember if he missed a substantial amount of time. Yeah. But I mean, just to echo the sentiment, Brian, like you're literally in the position you are because your quarterback that you thought is the future got injured, right? Like that's why you're here. And he, he's been injured a couple times already in his Notre Dame career, not even counting his season ending injury in high school. Like there's been, mm-hmm. you know, obviously durability concerns there. So uh, two wrongs don't make a right 
right? Like it, it doesn't even each other out in a vacuum. If Tyler Buckner is able to play all season and you can count on him a hundred percent of the time, you're probably not even in the transfer portal conversation right now. So why are we bringing mm-hmm. another player that might also be a question mark? You know, like it's just, right. Yeah. It's just a tough, tough conversation to have for me. Cause I really do yep. like, I, I do like Leary. I think he's a very good yeah. college quarterback. I would take him, but and you yeah. put him with Notre Dame's offensive line and Notre Dame's running game and Notre Dame's tight ends and Notre Dame's receivers with that defense. I mean, if you could tell me he was going to be healthy, mm-hmm. man. No-brainer. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, let's get to the next one here. Um, somebody said App State quarterback. Ryan, thoughts on the App Who's State that? quarterback? I don't even know is who App State quarterback Price? is. I don't think he's the App State quarterback anymore. Did he get he get beat out? I thought he got beat out. My answer is probably going to be a no since I don't know who that guy is. I'm pretty sure he's the but, quarterback. Uh, and Chase Bryce, say, yeah, he's yes, isn't he no. already a sixth year senior? Even if he had eligibility, so. hard pass. I don't I, I don't think he has eligibility yeah. left either way. So he has not been very good um, in situations where he had to be at a power five school. Yes. So that's that's, that's Duke legend yeah. Chase Bryce. Yeah, he really struggled in that situation. He yes, really struggled. He He's a great backup quarterback. That's what he is. Yes. That's what he is. Yep. He's a great backup quarterback. Somebody brought up Jack Tuttle, who's in Indiana. He's a backup he's quarterback. Talented. He's talented. But he's a backup quarterback. Yeah. You got to bring somebody with some experience. Like yes. like Hudson Card is the is the floor on experience that I would go for because he mm-hmm. started several games. Jack Tuttle is not is not that guy for me. I mean, he's a kid that in his career does not have a thousand yards passing. Yeah. Um, can't do it. Can't do it. I'm sorry. I just no. And I don't think he's talented enough to take the chance on. So yeah, just that's a that's gonna be a no from me. Somebody not, said not for, uh not for, go not ahead, for this situation. I was gonna say last right. year, Brian, because I know you talked about bringing in a kid yes. to you know kind of be a backup and you know, see what happens type of thing. Like Jack mm-hmm. Tuttle would have been fine in that situation. Yes, because then he comes right. off the bench and, you know, hey, he's going to, you know, we can, we got a good run game. We can protect him. We got a good tight end and exactly. it'd be all right. It'd be all right. So, yes, that would be, that would, this year would have been good for that. Next year, you've got to bring a kid in that can start that has the that starting talent. That's, mm-hmm. um, that's absolutely, that's where I would be on that one. All right, let's get to this here real quick. Let's get to some more uh, questions here. We have a few more. We wrap up. Uh, somebody, John, John the Gabbard says, oh, no, Brian, hockey is awesome. Again, what I'm saying is I can appreciate why you would think that. I can appreciate why people may like it and skill and the physicality. And all, I, I get all that. It's just it's just not for me, right? It's just it's, it's just it's not my thing, you know, and I've tried. And I just – part of it is because I don't really know the sport real well, to be completely honest with you. Uh, and it's just, it's not a sport I grew up around and just, it's just not for me. Like there's a lot of things that I can appreciate. There's foods that I've seen people like, they're like, Hey, I really appreciate the the look of that. And I'm sure it tastes good to you. It's just, it's not for me, you know, it's just not my thing. So everybody has different likes. I try to, uh, I mean, I joke with people about soccer, about how boring it is. And like the thing for me with soccer is I just can't watch a sport where you can dominate a team one to nothing. I just, I just can't do it. It's just not for me. I can still appreciate the skill that it takes to be good at it and appreciate why others may like it. Just not my deal. I also like sports where I can get up and take a break. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and not just a halftime break, you know, like 
yeah, I can go get a drink because it's you know end end of a switching series or whatever. So it's more my more my deal. Irish Mill is five four zero. Brian and Ryan, what is your go to Thanksgiving dish and or side? Well, Ryan, are you a turkey? I mean, do you guys do turkey for Thanksgiving? We, we do do turkey. I, okay. I am a I am a person that believes though that turkey is pretty overrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we've had this conversation before. We did, You're we lucky did have I forgot a, um, about that when uh, I hired you. We, we did have a smoked tur- turkey a couple of years ago, Brian. That was mm-hmm. delicious. Best turkey I've ever had by far. But I'm not overly a turkey guy overall. Yeah, I'm now remembering us having those conversations when, uh, when yes. I knew you. I am someone who loves turkey, but I think mm-hmm. turkey has to be done right. Sure. I have had bad turkey in my life, right? Like, I don't know if I've ever had bad have. chicken, right? You know what I mean? But, like, I've had bad turkey before. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's gotta be done right. And so I very much enjoy the way that Angela and I do our turkey. So yes, that's the go-to what you, you're a ham guy, right? Eh, Ham's okay. You're just not really a meat guy for Thanksgiving. No. Oh no. I, I mean, I love, I mean, I'm a protein guy just in general, but it's just, you know, ham's, ham's good. You know, it's so what do you have for Thanksgiving? If you don't like turkey, you don't like ham. I mean, we eat turkey. I eat turkey. Okay. I eat turkey on Thanksgiving. Okay. So eat it. You just don't love it. And, and gotcha. it's it's my wife's favorite meal of the year. She loves Thanksgiving. Loves okay. It, so does she I'll like to eat it? Does she like to make it? Oh, it's her favorite meal. Like we had a conversation before. Like you know how you always talk about like if you only had one meal left. You know you're on your deathbed. What would you have? And my wife would pick a Thanksgiving dinner. That's what she would pick. So yeah, she loves it. Sides though, I can get down with a lot of sides on Thanksgiving. Those so that is the saving okay. grace of turkey not being good is that there is mashed potatoes and mac and cheese and green beans with a little red pepper flake on them. You know, like there's a lot of good stuff Mm -hmm. from a side perspective. I am a pretty basic Thanksgiving dinner guy. I am a turkey mashed potatoes and corn. I actually don't do gravy. I put corn, the corn in my mashed potatoes and I like stuffing. Now here's where I'm really weird, Ryan. I don't Mm -hmm. like home cooked stuffing. I'm a stovetop guy. I'm a stove stop. I'm a stove top stuffing guy, and then uh, rolls. I mean, that's that's my Thanksgiving uh, deal. And then rolls. my I'll have like apple pie, cherry pie, but my grandma makes a chocolate pie that is absolutely phenomenal. And when I when I go home for Thanksgiving, which I, I haven't done in years, that's what I would always do. So turkey, mashed potatoes, and corn stuffing. And my family, I love my family to death. They would always make stove top just for me. And I had like two other cousins that didn't like normal stove stuffing, so they'd make it for us. Uh, but yeah, that's my. That's my go-to: turkey stuff, uh, stir, turkey stuffing, mashed potatoes and corn rolls, and a p- good piece of pie. I'm not really a big pumpkin pie guy. I mean, I'm I'll eat it guy. if that's all that's apple there, pie. but um, yeah, I got to do the crumble for apple pie. I'm an yes. apple cr- du- pie Dutch crumble apple? guy. Yeah. Dutch apple. Yeah. Yep. Yes, there you go. Yes, there you go. It's the way to go. It's the way to go. <laughs> with your chest, with a super chat. Thank you, sir, very much. Brian, punch self in face after ear piercing. Or campus tour helicopter ride at 65 mile an hour power winds. One dollar for answer, four dollar to Ryan's bonus fund. Um, <laughs> I deserve that one for uh, the the earpieces. I've never done a, a campus tour helicopter. I've never been in a helicopter, so um, I couldn't tell you that I. Uh, now the joke there is we were uh, at the the Clemson game. There was some people like in a helicopter around the stadium. With the crazy winds we had, like that's a 
that's a brave person. And with you, Chess was at the tailgate, so I assume that's what we're talking about there. But yeah, I'm not a helicopter guy. I just, um, you know, like you don't hear a lot about plane crashes and stuff like that. It's just not something that happens very often. You hear about helicopter crashes all the time. So that's just like a, that's a no-go for me, man. Uh, especially since I don't love heights. Like when I'm in an airplane, I can almost forget that I'm really high in the air if I want to. Uh, but helicopters, it's like, yeah, there's really nowhere to get. <laughs> there's no avoiding that. You're one. just, you're just hovering, yeah. man. And you just yeah. feel everything, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's a no for me. Um, but yeah, especially 65 mile an hour wind. So yeah. Um, but in my defense, when I got my ears pierced, I was like 19 years old, you know, like I was an idiot and they were the cool thing back then. It was like, cause I wasn't really a fashion guy. I was always been kind of a jeans and a hoodie kind of guy. It's like, I'll do it. You know, girls like it. And, I like the girls, so, you know, gave it a whirl, but it just wasn't for me. This wasn't for me. Girls <laughs> like it. I like girls. <laughs> I like girls, so, you know, <laughs> go with it. Go with it. <laughs> Ray Holcroft. Ray Holcraft, excuse me, Ray. What is each Notre Dame quarterback's strengths, and who fits Tommy Reese's scheme the best, including Minchie, let's still include Minchie and Carr in this conversation. Now, Minchie's not committed, and people have asked why I keep saying that, because he's not. And mm-hmm. when, anytime a kid's not committed, you could do something to blow it, right? Sure. We've said we think if things go well, we think he's going to be in the class. But number one, it's his moment to break. Number two, it's not a given that it's going to happen. I mean, if he comes this weekend and they ignore him and things don't go well for him and – the, he doesn't get along with the players. You could be like, you know what? Like, I know I don't want to go to Pitt, but I don't want to go to Notre Dame either. I don't anticipate sure. that happening, but you know that's why I keep saying that because I want people to understand he did not commit to Notre Dame yesterday. There's mm-hmm. still some ceiling to be done, right? But let's include Minchie and Carr and all the current quarterbacks, Ryan. So let's go oldest to youngest. So Pine, Buckner, and Jelly, Minchie, Carr. Have at it. Okay. So for Drew Pine, I think it's the the toughness that he brings to the field. So I think that's a, a nice conversation. I think he's genuinely generally pretty accurate when he's on rhythm. It's just when he his process gets messed up a little bit that I think that that suffers. So I think accuracy, general accuracy is pretty solid for him. I think he's a tough kid. Tyler Buckner, I mean, Tyler Buckner is a dynamic athlete, right? Like he is a really athletic kid. He kind of has all the intangible stuff it's just the injuries have kind of held him back a little bit mm-hmm. and jelly i think has a pretty quick release and i think he just has a pretty solid baseline all around it's like he's a solid athlete solid arm everything's just pretty solid across the board for kenny minchie i think that we talked about it right i think it's the arm talents the ability to throw from different arm speeds arm angles release points he's really smart he's got that He's got the proactiveness to play in the position. And then I think CJ has a lot of those same attributes. I would say CJ took a huge step up from an arm strength perspective as well. But I think that his best thing is that he is a very, he understands where to go with the football. He has some stuff that he can do off script and he can throw from different platforms and do all that type of stuff as well. So that's kind of what I see with each one, Brian, who fits the scheme best. I think that there's a conversation between Kenny Minchie and CJ Carr of who fits the best. I think that they both fit really well. And I think that you can have that. I mean, if you picked one, I wouldn't argue as much for the other, but I think CJ has the most potential to hit his, I think he has a highest ceiling probably in that system of all those. Yes. In my opinion. Yes. 
I honestly don't think – I think of the three current quarterbacks on the roster. It's going to surprise you, I think, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You may – actually, you know what? You may agree with this, actually. Okay. I think the guy that – where they are right now fits Tommy Reese's offense the best of the current players is Steve Angeli. Drew Pine's thing is, in theory, Steve – in theory, Drew Pine should fit Tommy Reese's offense. At, you know, supposedly accurate, smart, and all that stuff. I just don't think Drew has necessarily progressed in those areas the way that you'd like him to. But more so, a lot of stuff that Tommy wants to do requires a taller quarterback. I don't think being a six-foot quarterback hurts you. I think you have to you have to teach it properly, and I don't think they're necessarily – he may actually be teaching it the right way, and Drew's just not doing it. Drew may be rushing his technique. That's why he's throwing from five yards every time. Because we saw on Saturday him get more depth. Ian Book used to get more depth, if I remember correctly, in shotgun, if I remember. He would get a really good three-step drop and get nine, eight, nine yards behind. And then if he gathers up, he's still at six or seven, where Drew will take three quick, quick steps, gather, and then he's right back to where he caught the ball. And then guys are right in his face. Yeah. I don't think that's a Tommy Reese thing. I think that's more of a Drew thing based on – I'll have to go back and watch film today. I think I'm actually going to go do that today is look at Jack last year and look at Ian in 2020 and see if it's the same thing. But – you know, he wants to be able to throw screens. He wants to be able to throw a quick game, as we saw with Jack Cohn last year, and Drew's just not good in those areas. Uh, just not. I think Steve Angeli is a pocket passer, which Tommy mm-hmm. likes, but he's got he's got some athleticism to him as well, where he can, you know, you can you can do a read zone in the red zone or third and three, and, and he can scramble if there's an open running lane, which we saw in the blue gold game. He can step up and run. But he's got the height that I think Tommy needs to be able to execute the stuff he needs. Now, the problem with Steve is his ball placement's not great, and and that's my has always been kind of my knock on him. And Tommy likes a guy with much better ball placement. That's what I like about Kenny and CJ. They show me a much greater understanding of ball placement, and that's also what I like about Tyler potential. Tyler actually shows of three current guys the best ball placement that they have when he's right. You know, it's just he we didn't see him look comfortable this year, but that's kind of how I feel about that one. Milton fan 15, Brian, hypothetically, Notre Dame makes it to the national championship next year and you get two tickets to the game. Who from your staff are you taking with you? Uh, I'm taking Angela, our graphic designer. Uh, So that's who I'm taking with me because uh, I like her a lot and I'd like to stay married. So that's who I'm taking all due respect to my guys, my team, uh, but that's who I'm. That's who I'm taking with me. Is it's very it's is acceptable answer. I yeah. will accept that. Yeah. I will accept it. And <laughs> with all due respect, Ryan, if I had to take one of my staff, I got to take Vince. I mean, Vince is the guy that was with me He's from day one. Yep. Uh, you know, Vince is the Vince is my dude, uh, and uh, you know, but uh, I, I'd have to take him, man. Vince is the OG. But honestly, I'd love to watch a championship game with all my staff. That's the thing I love about our – like, I joked about this to Sean Styers in the press box at Clemson. I said, you know what? There may be people that make more money than us or whatever, but nobody has as much fun doing this as we do. And, I mean, like, we enjoy each other. I mean, we are in group chats during games, you know, having fun, and we enjoy being around each other. I mean, the night we went to the restaurant in town, it was like the only time we've all four been in town together. This is before we brought Sean Styers on board. That was a fun night, man. You know, Vince brought his kid with him, and you know we had a good time. I have a I have good people on my staff, and and I love that. And if I got a chance to watch the championship game from the stands uh, with all of them, it'd be great. Now, having said that, uh, if Notre Dame makes a championship game and I I got two tickets, I'd be selling them or giving them to my parents because I'd be in the press box working. So, sure. yeah, 
and Angela would be on the field shooting the game, with, you know, because uh, she does photography for us. And so Ryan and Vince would be up in the press box with me, and my parents would be at the game. So how about that? I got I'm making everybody happy today, Ryan. Love it. So yeah. Or I could say, no, I'd take Angela because then I'd have Vince and Ryan up in the press box working. So then we're all there. So there you go. There you go. I'm going to find my way into the right answer on this no matter what. Robert Bishop. Here's an interesting one, Ryan. I'll get your thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I'll share my opinion afterwards if it's different from yours. Question from Robert Bishop. When Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC, do you see them as middle-of-the-road teams or towards the bottom with Vanderbilt, South Carolina, and Mississippi State? So I want to ask this. I'm going to add a little addendum to this. Mm-hmm. Based on who they are now, based on you pro- based on you projecting who they are now with their current staffs and your feeling about the current staffs, I want you to answer it that way. And then the second one is, in theory, is that just who they are? Like, there's Kentucky has reached its peak as a program, in my view. Vanderbilt's never going to be Georgia, right? So as mm-hmm. programs – is that who they're going to Mississippi state's always going to be Mississippi state. Right. Right. Um, So answer it that way too, specific to who they are now. And then in theory, who they can be as a program. Well, I think that Texas has a much higher upside in the few in the near future than in Oklahoma, for instance, I, the interesting part, Brian, is that they play very different styles than what your typical SEC team plays, right? So he's going to—they're going to come in there, and they're going—it's just going to look a little different to some SEC schools. You're just going to kind of have to figure it out and see how they kind of fit. I mean, Robert, in the in for the general question in a vacuum, I'd say yes. First year, they were probably middle of the pack type of SEC teams, maybe bordering on you know kind of that second tier of teams. But I think that Texas, for me they have an upside to kind of rise. I don't think they'll ever get in the near future to a Alabama, Georgia, but I think that they could be that, you know, high second tier type of team, Oklahoma. I mean, I've been honest about this and I'll be complete and I'll continue to be this. I'm just not high on Oklahoma moving forward, man. I'm really not. There's look, I like Brent Venables as a defensive guy. I think he's a smart dude. He, I think that he can get players to play for him. I just don't like how that team's trending right now, just from all aspects of the program. I just, I have a tough time seeing them taking a jump, but I could see Texas going there, right? Like you have a going in, you know, you have Quinn Ewers, hopefully he takes a step. You have Arch Manning coming in, you're recruiting at a high level. I think Texas has a much more promising future than Oklahoma right now, Brian. Like, I don't know if you agree with that, but Mm -hmm. I just, I do. the, The Oklahoma coaching staff right now i'm just like i'm struggling with it man like i want to like it i wanted to like brett venables when he got hired i just think that that's going to be a reset at some point i really do i think right now is where they are ryan i i wholeheartedly agree i think in the future i also agree that texas has the higher upside in both areas i i I did not love the brent venables hire i was willing to give him a chance because what we said this summer was it's either going to be really good or it's going to be a flop and it's too early to tell which way it's going to go, honestly. I mean, he wouldn't be the first coach in the country that didn't do great his first year that got better. Uh, right. Dabo was that way. I mean, Dabo's first two years at Clemson were like, you know, thinking about firing the guy after they lost 70 to 33 in the Orange Bowl. But I just, I think Oklahoma as a program is never going to have the ceiling as Oklahoma, if as Texas, if they both max out. I actually think Texas can be Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson. Now, look, when I say that, I don't mean, look, no one's going to win, like, what, seven titles in 12 years or something stupid like that. Like, that's not what I'm talking about, where they're just a dominant team year after year. I do think Texas has the capability of doing that. I I think 
the problem is, is their boosters are just, they don't help themselves in my opinion. Like they just create this really insane environment where like, you know, Mac Brown after winning a title and playing for a title in five years, two years later, you know, they're upset with him because they had a couple nine and three seasons. Like, you no, know, you're, 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 you're your own worst enemy in that regard. But, uh, I think Texas, the in-state recruiting, the money. I mean, nobody has more money than Texas. You know, it's a it's arguably the best talent base in the nation. You know, I mean, with, if you look at the number of guys they put in the NFL, it's right there with with you know Florida and California just from a volume standpoint. Kids come in ready to play because they they come from great schools and facilities where high schools spend money on football. Where Florida is just great talent. There's not a lot of great football programs in Florida. Uh, other than, I mean, there'll be good coaches at some places, but like they don't have, they don't invest the money in football in Florida like they do in Texas, man. It's, it's nuts. So I think if you hire the right coach, they can certainly win there. And that's how every program is. Like we've seen Alabama coaches fail. We've seen Ohio state coaches not be that good. We, every school's had bad coach, you know, just okay coaches in the programs for that. You need a dynamic coach. There's no program where you can just, it doesn't matter who you have as coach. They're going to win no matter what. No, that's not how it works. And look how quickly Larry Coker ran and it ran down Miami. Look how quickly Dennis Erickson ruined what Howard Schnellenberger. And and the funny thing is he won more championships, I believe, than both of them. But he was living off of their coattails, you know, and the talent, the talent and reputation that Schnellenberger and Jimmy Johnson had built up. And then he ran it down. And then they, you know, Butch Davis brings it back. And then, you know, they hire Larry Coker and he runs it down again. Right. So you need the right guy for every program. And Texas is no different. But if you hire the right guy at Texas and you give them the support you need to give them, then, yeah, Texas can be one of the best teams in the country consistently. It's just they often haven't hired the right guy, if I'm being honest with you. They, that's a school that has made more bad head coaching hires than I can – than in any – I mean, just throughout their history. Either bad coaching hires or just underwhelming coaching hires. You know, we're just – yeah, ever since Darrell Royal, like, I mean, John Mac- Malkovic, you know, Fred Akers, Mac Brown – Charlie Strong, Tom Herman, just really a lot of underwhelming of, you know, of those type of things. And so I you hire the right guy, you'll win. And Alabama's no different. I mean, they had some very underwhelming hires after, you know, after uh, Gene Stallings won a title. And they had some underwhelming hires before him, after him. Oklahoma's had some very underwhelming hires after, after uh, um, Barry Switzer left. So it's uh, I think every program's like that, Ryan. But I don't think Oklahoma can ever be Georgia and Bama. I think Oklahoma, at their best, in in the SEC, to me, is I'm trying to think of Ole Miss, right? Like really good team that occasionally can make a run, but you're just not going to be on the same level. They don't have the in-state talent that that they have to go into Texas to get. A, a ton of players it, and it's just with what kids are looking for nowadays it's just i think it's going to be a little bit harder for them to to do do it that way but uh yeah, that's my two cents i mean it, it, you know what they are they're texas a&m that's that's who oklahoma is in the big in the sec they're texas a&m right i mean they'll have some good years and some veteran laden teams but they're never going to be a team that's consistently contending for championships in my view so i don't know that's my two cents all right, let's get to some more here to get out of here. Beef Eater asks, Brian and Ryan, India has a very high bar for its players. Is Kenny Minchie elite enough to hand the ball off into an eight-man box or not get rid of the ball when the other team blitzes nine and take a sack? 
Okay, I see the saltiness there. I'm going to read it anyway, but come <laughs> on, man. 99 Probs BK1, uh, would you like Tyler Van Dyke as a transfer quarterback? No idea if he's a transfer candidate. If this is too speculative, feel free to ignore. I love the upside of him in this offense. I, I'll say this with transfer quarterbacks, Ryan. With the exception of Devin Leary, if all things are equal, it just depends on who else is out there. Like right. I like Tyler Van Dyke a lot more than you do. Mm-hmm. And and I like Tyler Van Dyke a lot in Tom Reese's offense. But it depends on who else is out there. Sure. You know, so, I mean, that's the, and that's part of the reason I don't like to get into this conversation is I can tell you what I think about a kid. If Tyler Van Dyke is in the transfer portal, would I look talk to him? Heck yes, I would. Because, I mean, you just look at the production he had last year in Miami. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that kid put up some numbers last year and he struggled this year. Well, he's in a bad offense with bad talent around him and, it's not a really well-coached team, but I mean, you look what that kid d- did last year. I mean, that kid, did, that kid was impressive. He started, was it nine games last year? And, and in those nine games, he threw for almost 3000 yards, 25 touchdowns and six picks. He threw at least three touchdown passes in all six of his last, and, and every, and ev- all six of the games at the end of the season last year, NC state, Pitt, Georgia tech, Florida state, Virginia tech, and Duke. And the thing I like about him too in this game too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. 325, 426, 389, 316, 357, 381. Now, caveat, it's a bad defensive league last year. It's not a great defensive league this year, but it was especially bad last year. That helps, but there's a lot of quarterbacks that can't put up those numbers. Doing that at Pitt was the one that impressed me. Mm-hmm. Because the thing I liked about it is he was bad at North Carolina. Bad. Mm-hmm. And the thing I liked about him, and we discussed this this summer, Ryan, I love how he bounced back from those two games. And the, the, the lose to Virginia, or lose they lose to Virginia, and he goes on the or, excuse me, he they lose to North Carolina. He doesn't play well. And they go on, they go next week. They beat NC State, and he goes off twenty five of 33, 325 yards, four touchdowns. Then they go on the road to Pitt the next week, and they beat Pitt, who at the time was red hot, goes thirty two of forty two. 426 yards, three touchdowns, and completely outplays Kenny Pickett. And, and you know, then he doesn't play well against Florida State. You threw for 316 yards and four touchdowns, but he had some big mistakes in that game, right? If you remember, the picks were like at least one of them that I remember was really costly. Yeah. And then what does he do? He comes back the next week against Virginia Tech, throws for 357 yards and three touchdowns, average 10, 10.8 yards per, per game. And then the next week against Duke, he throws for 381 yards and three touchdowns. Like he bounced back from bad games last year mm-hmm. with Rhett Lashley's OC this year. I mean, he had two great games in a row against North Carolina and Virginia tech production wise, but everything around him was garbage. And that's the problem. It's it's bad system and bad talent. My thing is, is he an elite quarterback talent wise? No. If you put him in a pro style system with really good players around him and a good offensive line, could this kid be part of a really good offense? Yes. I believe he can be. Don't disagree with that. There's no doubt. I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah. yeah. He's he's a player that I think in the right situation could be a very successful role player. Like mm-hmm. I, I do. Yep. College I, quarterback. Yeah. Yes, 100%. And he's a real and when he's when he's right and the things around him are right, he's a really good college quarterback. They'd never question that at all. He has talent in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Where I think Ryan, the thing that I think this is me reading you like I think the problem that soured you a little bit was some of the NFL top 10 hype that he was getting. That I don't see. That's that's fair. He doesn't yeah. have that type of talent. He's more of a 
round three guy at his best, right? If yes. he maxes out, he's a round two or three guy at his, at his best talent wise. Now he can end up being a first round pick because he's big. He's got a good arm, not a great arm, and he'll have production. So some team will overdraft sure. him. You know that. And I think that's kind of the thing for me. But if you just look at him as a college quarterback, when he's had decent stuff around him, he's been pretty good. Yeah. But I take him over Brennan Armstrong any day of the week. I'll oh, tell you that right now. Especially any, where Brennan Armstrong is now. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I didn't buy I didn't buy last year's version of Brennan Armstrong. You know that. The yeah. ACC had terrible defenses. He threw a lot of turnover. He had a lot of turnover-worthy throws last year that didn't turn into turnovers because the teams around him stunk. And he had a great, for the ACC, a loaded group of pass catchers. And they were all giants. Sure did. You know, And so it really helped the fact he's not an overly accurate player at quarterback and it helped him having those big kids that could just kind of snatch balls out of the air and make him look better than he is and so and it the funny thing is the exact opposite has happened with those same players this year like Dontavius Wicks was so good last year kid can't catch a cold this year it's been the weirdest thing it's the weirdest thing like how did he went from as good as he was last year to what he is this year Ryan I it's weird I can't confi- figure it out. I, 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 it has to be confidence with who's calling the offense, right? I mean, it has to be what it is, I guess. It's weird. It is weird. Yeah. All right, let's get down to some more. Uh, lo- thank you from Enego Montoya. Blessed Tuesday, fam. Hit that like button. Absolutely. Zach Martin says, Brian and Ryan, were you a Jinko's jeans guy? I don't know what those are. I, I so I'm going to say no here. Either. No. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a regular jeans guy. So, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was, was per, you know, like mine a little bit looser. All right. I yes. longer. I'm not, I, I definitely would never have skinny jeans now. Skinny if jeans I now? even had, if I had the figure now that I had in high school and college, I still wouldn't be work rocking skinny jeans. I like loose <laughs> stuff. I don't like tight stuff. I agree there. Tavis McKay, Matt rule meeting with Nebraska thoughts. I have not heard that rumor, Ryan. So I, I'm not saying that we're going to respond to any particular rumor. I'll just say this. Would that be a guy that if you were Nebraska that you would look at? I kind of I kind of like it, actually, I think. I mean, I'd, I'd have to sit down and just chew on it a little bit more. But, I mean, the thing about Matt Rule is Matt Rule is a really good college coach, right? He really is. I think that he was building something pretty nice at Baylor before, you know, obviously he jumped mm-hmm. to the NFL. And I think that you saw – I think that you, you would – I think you've seen in the couple places that Matt Rule's been that he's been – put into some bad situations and he's built programs back to in a pretty sound amount of time. Right. Like I remember when he first took over at Baylor, Brian, that team was mm-hmm. bad, man. And in only a couple yeah. of years, they were a much better competitive football team. So Nebraska is not in a great spot right now. And I think that he would have to be able to get a little creative with how, which how he, you know, kind of got the talent in the door at Nebraska, you know, in the short and long term. But I think that he would be a decent fit. I really do. I think that he's, He's he's I think his personality would fit pretty well at Nebraska. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I think it'd be a good fit. He's and he's quirky enough to to be likable there. You know what I mean? Like I've never liked him for Notre Dame because his personality just would be very like that's just not what I want from a coach at Notre Dame. And right. and, and every school's different. You take that same personality and put him at Nebraska, and you're like, you know what? Like, I kind of like that fit. You know, and- I kind of like that fit. And I kind of, I also kind of like that he is much different than what Scott Frost was from a 
only from a coaching perspective, but from a personality perspective. Human being right? standpoint? Yes. From a human being perspective, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, not even just like the the, you know, just the morally sound person aspect but also just his personality is different as well right like he's not a jerk <laughs> so that would right. be that would be good in that right. regard he seems likable to me i don't know if he is yes. or isn't you know but he just seems he seems likable to me so yeah i think i think i the one year when we were at the i was at the combine i got a chance to meet matt rule because he walked it's cool when you're in the media section of for the combine because you get you walk past people all the time, Brian. It's just like, oh, that's that's Matt Rule. That's Bill Belichick mm-hmm. walking by me right now. So I got a chance to talk to him. He's he is a really nice guy. I, I do like Matt Rule as a person. So I, I think he'll land on his feet with the college team. I think he'll do a good job. I do. There's a lot of interesting conversations about jeans going on in the somebody my guy Ten Day said that you were a bugle boy jeans guy. I was like, I don't even know a bugle boy. There's what so much stuff. Like somebody said, I was a bell-bottom guy. Again, salty. How old do you think I am? Like, dude, bell-bottoms? Like, my dad wore bell-bottoms. What are you talking about? Um, the funniest jean store I ever had is I bought uh, Wu-Wear jeans. You know what those are? Wu-Wear? So Wu-Tang yeah. Clan had a clothing line. Okay. And so... Um, I was going to buy, I was going to buy some, some Wu wear jeans and they, cause they, they make them baggy and I like baggy pants. Like I just, they're, I, I, even now I'd rather sweats than jeans. Right. And if I'm going to wear jeans, they need to be loose. I don't like tight stuff and never have. But, uh, so I went in there and the smallest pair of pants you could find was like a 44, you know what I'm like? <laughs> did, did like every skinny person in America, like buy these already? Or do you guys only make big jeans? And apparently like they would only make them big like that. Cause the people had belts on them and they'd be these huge, like, you know, tent pants, people just put belts on them. I was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Ain't happening. Ain't happening. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, he said, uh, it's an Eric Clapton reference. Don't tell me you're too young for Eric Clapton. I'm, I'm old enough to appreciate Eric Clapton, but not old enough to get Eric Clapton references. So <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about with that one salty. So sorry, man. Uh, don't know that one. Let's go Levi Perez. In your opinion, what is the most disappointing coaching job this season compared to the expectations? If you're good, Ryan, this is an easy answer. If you're going to look at expectations nationally, there has been no worse coach than Jimbo Fisher. I mean, people have oh, AM yeah. insanely in the top 10. And mm-hmm. they're even, and I would even argue, Ryan, that that's the answer for me, even with my expectations of AM not even expecting them to be that good. I thought they were borderline top 25 team coming into the year. That's three it. Three and seven right now. Three, three and seven. seven. Yeah. So even yeah. if you and I were right and the expectations were proper, because you weren't super high on AM either. No. But even if we were right that the expectations should have been what we thought, they've even su- su- significantly underachieved that. I-, I thought they were going to be eight and four again. <laughs> like I really yeah. did. You know, I thought they would like yeah. show some flashes, but then just be down for games that they shouldn't be down for and just inconsistent. So three and seven comparative to what I thought they would be in eight and four is a big downslide. There is, I was actually, I misread this question originally. I started thinking about first year coaches for some reason. So I was Mm -hmm. like, Mario. that's kind of what I did too. Yeah. I was like Mario Cristobal, I guess. Oh, big time Cristobal. I thought Miami had a shot to win the coastal. I really did. I mean, they had decent talent coming back and they, I mean, they have been bad. They're not even, they're not just losing games, Ryan. They're getting destroyed. In games and, they're lull- and offensively, like, man, they are lulling you to sleep in games, man. Like it is bad. All right. Ten day just sent me bugle boy jeans. 
Those are hideous. I pray you never wore bugle boy jeans, Ryan. I pray you I don't never know. Wore I don't know what bugle boy jeans are. Okay, so good. No. So ten they just no. sent me a picture of bugle boy jeans, and those are not good. Those are not think, cool. I don't <laughs> think my style strayed past Wrangler or Levi much. Yeah. If I'm being honest. So yeah. uh, Siggy said uh, somebody said eight Texas A&M wanted to break the narrative about being a perennial eight and four team, so they went four and eight. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to flip the script on them. Well, yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So the bugle boy jeans, Ryan, they have the uh, elastic belts or the, or, I mean, elastic waist like sweatpants on jeans. Okay. Hideous. I just, I'm looking at the picture Ten Day sent me. It's bad. Oh my goodness, Sounds, that's really some, bad. That sounds kind of comfortable though. But yeah, they yeah. look like no, no, Ryan, no, because there's like pockets everywhere. It just, it, it's not good. It's ugly. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. All right, let's get to some more football questions. Here's one. Uh, I mean, honestly, for me, though, Jimbo's it. First-year coaches, Mario's it, and I don't think there's really any other one, anyone else in contention for that, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Ben Tarnowski says, why does Drew Pine pat the ball before he throws? Ian did it, too. What's the benefit? Does it contribute to getting passes batted down? It, I don't think it really contributes to passes getting batted down. It's a trigger. It's a, it's a timing mechanism, essentially, for quarterbacks, mm-hmm. and it's a trigger, right? So it's like, okay, I'm starting the process of throwing. I don't like it. I didn't teach it. Um, I taught quarterbacks to have both hands on the football until you're ready and your trigger is the push uh, mm-hmm. because I think this creates a, a, a – I mean, it takes longer to pat and get it out. So I don't really care about people batting it down. It's more so much about your, your – you're now – It's a, to me, I'm more concerned about the secondary seeing it than I am a defensive lineman seeing it. I yes. care about if that's your constant trigger, I care about a corner saying, okay, ball's coming out. Right. Mm-hmm. And you've now slowed yourself down where I wanted to be here. And then I want to push right here. Push. That's how I taught quarterbacks, because now it's like, OK, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Bam. I'm getting into it. But a lot of quarterbacks did that. I mean, John now used to pat the ball all he the time, did. you know, but he threw 175 miles an hour. So it didn't matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he could he could kind of get away with that. But I don't like it. I wouldn't teach it. Um, it would be something that it's one of the it's one of the few mechanical things from a quarterback that I would absolutely fix day one. That's not mm-hmm. something that I'm like, ah, he just doesn't deal with it. Nope. Nope. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Com- completely yeah. different. But do you remember, do you remember Rich Gannon used to pump fake like four times before every throw? Rich oh yeah. Gannon? Oh gosh. Yes. <laughs> yep. Somebody called, I think somebody called bugle boy jeans, a uh, male maternity pants. <laughs> That's great. Again, sounds kind of yes. comfortable. That's sounds great. No, Ryan, no, they're not. You- they're not. I'm gonna send you the picture. Beef Eater says if Saban retires, do you think Bryce Young to, will transfer out? Yes, he's gonna transfer out to the NFL draft. That's where Bryce Young is gonna transfer to. It's never yeah, Bryce Young is yeah. not gonna be in college next year, yeah. sir. Definitely. This is a fascinating question coming up here, Ryan, from Robert Bishop. Brian, do you see a fake punt coming to counter our punt blocking schemes? Ooh. The fascinating part about this, Robert, is in theory, you'd think yes. But the way that Notre Dame blocks, they do not do all-out blocks. They find your weakness, and they attack that weakness. They don't get it to where they're all out and you just somebody gets through. They're not really doing that. It would be hard to fake this team, in my opinion, because of that. Now, somebody may blow an assignment, and you fake them that way. But schematically, Ryan, they don't do overload. They don't do overload like across the board pump blocks, really, except when you're backed up. Which is also why, and I, I noted this in the while watching the Texas TCU game because Texas ran into the punter twice, 
First time they didn't call it, shouldn't have. Second time they called it. They called it running into. I thought it should have been roughing. And, and because they made the guy – because they went under his legs and made him fall on his back, I thought that should have been roughing. They went with running into and they gave him a first down. But, you know, I don't. I can't think of a time where Notre Dame's come anywhere close to hitting the punter this year. Like no. one guy almost on a run through, but he, he was under control and he didn't do it. But I can't think of a time where – and all these blocks where I'm like, boy, I'm glad they blocked that because they were about to knock that guy over if they didn't. The controlled aggression that they show on pump blocks is really fascinating and the sign of great coaching. But, Robert, in theory, you'd think that you're correct. Like somebody's about to fake one on them. But they're really sound. They don't do overloads. They really don't. They're disciplined on the edge when they come up the middle. And when they come off the edge, the other side's pretty disciplined. And so, I don't, I, Ryan, I don't think they're a team that you can really fake unless somebody just blows an assignment. What are your thoughts on that? Because it's a, it, yeah. you'd think a team that blocks this many punts is a team that somebody's going to want to run a fake on. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the fascinating thing is that, I mean, usually you're seeing, what, like four guys rushing, right? Like just kind of overwhelm a couple gaps and then get a free free runner somewhere. It's not mm-hmm. like you're just seeing like eight to nine guys just go in every single play, right? Like, you know what I also think it is, Brian, is I think that people have really – special teams wise, I think they've really bought into their role on the, on the pump block team. Like, look, I, I think that for a guy that's assignment is, Hey, you're staying with the wing and that's your assignment on this play. You're blocking him, all that type of stuff. Even when you're bringing some pressure from certain spots, I think even those players have quietly really bought into those types of conversations because it, it's a part of a group, right? It's a part of a collaborative effort. I think that those guys genuinely get a lot of, excitement about Isaiah Foskey blocking a punt out of Jack Kaiser blocking a punt out of Jordan Patello blocking a punt. Like there's, mm-hmm. it's like this, I think that side of the football has just really had a collaborative efforts on there. So I, I agree. I, I think that they, I think people have just really bought into what their assignment is special teams wise, which I think is, again, that's a big, big nod to what Brian Mason has done. He has gotten yeah. people to buy in to what their role on this specific play is, which is fantastic. Yeah. He really has done a phenomenal. I mean, it, I can't stress it enough. The phenomenal job he has done. I think part of it for me too, Ryan, is I'm, 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 I feel justified because we've been saying for how many years they, if you're not going to return punch, you need to heat them up and yep. Brian pulling do neither which is wasting time collecting a paycheck for by doing nothing, which sums up Brian Kelly and Brian Pullian's tenure, special teams coach in Notre Dame. Uh, let's see here from Brian Tarnowski, Ben Tarnowski. This is the last one here. We're going to, we're going to end it here, Ryan. We got, we got, uh, we got things that we got to, we got to get to here. A couple things we got to get, get taken care of. And some I, I, I got to go get some Google boy jeans. That's stuff, right. So. And please, no, yeah. please God, no Lord. Uh, ben Tarnowski says, do you think Miami's offensive problem is Cristobal or Gaddis? I'm leaning Cristobal based on Michigan last year, and historically Oregon's offense wasn't great. I want to get your thoughts on this, Ryan, because I have a pretty strong opinion on this as, as well. I think Josh Gaddis is extremely overrated. I do. I, I think that, look, I, Michigan last year was a team that was built off of running the football. Fantastic, right? Offensive line, very good. And they had some skill position talent, but they didn't stress the defense in the passing game at all last year. I mean, that's why we're talking about Cade McNamara. And even with a more talented quarterback this year, I mean, they still have not really opened up the passing attack. So I think that it's Josh Gaddis' problem for to start with, right? Like, I, I don't, I think he's overrated as a play caller. I do. I still think that he's growing in that capacity and he hasn't done anything where I'm just like, yes, that's a, that's the guy, right? Like, this is why I want to, 
give him so much money. But and I think that, but I do think that that is a fault of Mario Cristobal overall, right? Because Mario Cristobal was the one that brought Josh Gaddis, right? So I think that's a misevaluation for him on who his offensive coordinator is. But I also do think that Josh Gaddis is a very overrated offensive coordinator. I do. Yeah. I think Josh Gaddis's success at Michigan last year had a lot more to do with Jim Harbaugh than Josh Gaddis, in my opinion. The other thing I would say is I think the I think Mark Cristobal is a, 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 did a very good job at Oregon. Not great, very good. I thought he was a great fit at Miami. But the one thing you and I did talk about this summer, Ryan, was I did not like his coaching hires. And we basically said the defensive hires basically were those of um, a group that – you, it's like you just brought in a bunch of recruiters and said, let's just yeah. load up on talent and I go get real coaches in two years. I mean, that I see, I, I know of no, nothing from Kevin Steele's history tells me you would ever hire him to build a great defense schematically or technically. You build him, you bring him in to hire, to recruit great players. Yes. And that's worked to a degree, you know, with, with the help of, of their booster program, it's worked to a degree because they're recruiting well. It's just they're not playing well. And I never understood the, the, steel charlie strong combo charlie strong hasn't been a good assistant coach in a long time because he's hasn't been an assistant coach in so long you know and he was his last couple coaching jobs were just really bad so mm-hmm. i i didn't love the hires i didn't like jo- I did, the fit for josh gaddis didn't make a lot of sense to me uh, but let's be honest that wasn't his first choice i mean his, his first choice was tommy reese let's be honest about that you know so yeah. Uh, and clearly Josh Gaddis realizes that he made a mistake with some of the comments he's made this season. Like that's like a dude begging to get fired. You know what I mean? Like some of the stuff he said and done, it's like, he's begging to get fired. And like, they're just doing some of the weirdest stuff. Now, when you look at what they're doing um, schematically and how they're using the quarterback rotation, it's like, Oh my gosh, it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. So that's going to do it Ryan uh, for today's show. Great questions. This is a fun chat, guys. I really appreciate that. We had a lot of fun last night, too. Vince and I did. So you guys are really bringing it last this week with the questions in the answer session. But remember, 6 o'clock tonight, it is the IB Nation Sports Talk Show with Sean and Jesse. And then 9.30 tonight, me and Ryan for sure will be there uh, talking about the college football playoff rankings, which start at 9. So we'll talk about those at 9.30. Break down what it means for Notre Dame. Let's just kind of give our overall thoughts on it. Have some fun. Do a Q&A with you all. And, uh, and and get rocking and rolling. So uh, hit that like button, everybody. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. Share this podcast. Do not boy, buy Bugle Boy jeans. Check out the Built Bar store. Check out the Irish Breakdown merch store. And, of course, as always, sign up for the message boards, boards at irishbreakdown.com, and check out our website at irishbreakdown.com. So for Ryan, I'm Brian. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown podcast. <laughs>
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.